Good morning, so good to be with you today. My name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Free. Welcome to everyone watching online at CarneyEFree.com. Claire, why don't you scoot on over here as our video shot is right here. Great. This is Claire, and uh, Claire is um, uh, a counselor here in our community and uh, has been attending Carney Free along with her husband Charles and their uh, wonderful kids for the past couple years. And... Um, Claire leads our premarital class, premarital prep class here at Carnegie Free, and I asked her to come up on stage with me just for a few moments here, though, this morning to talk about friendship a bit, because um, it was probably a month ago after our first friendship message in this series, uh, Claire came up to me after the service, and she said, uh, Adrian, do you know that I help uh, people learn to develop friendships in my counseling practice? And I said, no, I had no idea. That's a good thing to know. And I said, tell me a little bit more about that. And she said, you know, people are just having a really, really difficult time even beginning to take the dive into friendship. And uh, many adults would say, I don't know how to even begin a relationship well, with another person in order to build a friendship. And so I said, well, this is really interesting. Well, we need to talk a little bit more about that. And so we did, and I, I thought this would be great for you to hear a little bit from a counselor just for a few moments from a counselor, what she's seen in terms of what's preventing friendship and then also some real practical uh, steps that we can take. And I love what you shared in the first service. Would you just share, Claire, a little bit, um, like, I mean, as I noted already, people are just having a really difficult time even diving in, even considering this first step into developing a friendship. Why is that in our culture? Why, Why do you think that is? So the two main things that I would say I've seen that make it difficult, right, to start in friendship in that um, is the first thing is in our culture, we have lost this idea of mutual community, right? This idea of if I need to share, if I have a need, right, like I don't want to share that with you because I don't want to be vulnerable there. Um, You do not want to share it with me and then we don't help each other, right? There is a connection that is formed when I say I need your help and then you help me and vice versa, right? When I know that I can return that favor, right? And so this is just, has been lost, right? It's been lost in our community. Um, it's just, you see a lot of individuals going at it. And so this, these connection points, right? We, we've just kind of lost those pieces. Um, cause I was telling you, I have a kiddo that's in sports, right? And we go to the sports game practice, right? There are 10 kids on his team and there are 10 cars in that parking lot, right? Like nobody's given rides. Nobody's asking for rides. Nobody's offering, right? It's just this, we've just learned as a community to just go on our own, right? And so you just kind of lose the connection points of um, being able to ask for help, give help, and that kind of piece. The other one is that I have found is people just don't quite know how to intentionally hop into um, just more conversations that are real about them, right? Share opinion, share pieces like that of where they're at, um, mainly because our culture has lost a lot of the ability um, to sit in the space of agreeing to disagree, mm. right? Like if I share something about what I think, what I believe, anything, right, on how I run my life, if I share that with you and you do not agree, there's just a very strong cultural belief right now that if we hit that point in our interaction, in our beginning friendship, the friendship's over then, yeah. right? Like we don't know how to, how to be in that place And so that's just what I've seen with people is they are just very scared just to have real conversations about who they are, what they think, any of that kind of stuff, because they're just scared that they'll end the relationship before it starts. Yeah. So if you raise your kids in a certain way that's somewhat different though than I do, then that becomes a non-starter for the relationship almost. Right. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Are you all seeing this? 
Are you seeing this in relationships? Like we can't disagree on small or substantive things, and the moment we do, the relationship's done, so why even try? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, given that, what, what are you encouraging people to do? What are a couple small steps though, that people could take to overcome some of these cultural realities and at <laughs> least begin to take a step into relationships? Yeah. So the first thing that I tell people to do is I really want them to intentionally try, right? Intentionally try to develop friendship. Um, a lot of people that I talk to in my office, they're really just hoping friends will just kind of fall into their life, like good friends will fall into their life, and it just doesn't happen, right? It does not happen. You have to start somewhere. And so that's where intentionally try, intentionally reach out to somebody and ask if they can have lunch during work, right? Intentionally say, it's not going to be a big thing. Just come over. We're gonna, I'm going to order a pizza. Just come over. We'll hang out, right? See if it works. So intentionally take steps rather than just waiting and seeing what happens. Because if you wait, it won't happen. Yeah. I pretty much promise you that. It won't. Um, so anyway, so that's the first thing. The second thing is um, I coined a phrase long ago when I had little littles um, called honest hospitality. And this is the idea of having people into your home where you do not pick up your house completely. Okay, because here's the deal, right? If you go over, if I go over to Adrian's house and it is picked up, spick and span, ready to be put on the market, looking good, right? I know what my house looks like at home. I know the dishes in my sink. I know the laundry. I know all of that. And if I walk in thinking that is how he runs his life, we're not going to be friends. It's not going to work, right? Like I can't hang in that standard and I won't invite him to my house. Absolutely. Because I'm like, who has time to do that? Right. And so I intentionally do not pick up my house fully, right? I'll pick up some, but fully, right? When people are coming over because I want them to see that I'm a real person, right? And there's a mess and that is part of my life. And if you can't hang in that space, we are not going to be friends. So I promise, I always promise people I will have water, I will have toilet paper. Those are always the promises. But, and you know, and it's a good day. I'll have a treat or something, a snack. But um, it just, it's lowering that bar and making, it is shocking how comfortable this makes people Mm. when you do this. Mm. When you have them over, they won't say anything about it, right? But any of my good friends that I've developed, they will tell me, they're like, I will tell you how good of a friend you are. I didn't even pick up. And I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you, yeah. right? So that's, that's where so they good, start. That's so good, Claire. We're kind of threatened by perfection, aren't we? Like, I, I don't really have room in my life for perfect people, do you? I just don't. I don't really have room for perfect people, but because the expectation that there be a perfect, I mean, that's just not me. And so I feel overwhelmed by that, and so I don't really want to go into that space is what I hear you saying, yeah. and that's certainly true for me. But like this, the prospect that, that you're in process and I'm in process. And so we have space for each other as we are trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. Yeah. Well, Claire, thank you for sharing your time mm-hmm. and some of your expertise well with us. Mm-hmm. And thank you for your work for so many people in counseling and our yeah. premarital prep class as well. W- would you mind just praying for our church in yeah. this regard? Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. All right, Lord. I just, I praise you, God, because you have called us to community. Lord, you've created us um, to be in points of connection. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray for everyone here that is in pursuit of friendship, in pursuit of connection. I pray that you would bless their pursuits, Lord. I pray that you would give them wisdom on who to connect with, how to connect, Lord. And as they navigate the uncomfortable spaces of honest hospitality or, or just being in conversations on the agree to disagree pay, p- 
place, I pray that you would help them navigate that. I pray that real relationships would be formed, Lord, and I just ask that this would be a place of true community, mm. Lord, that everyone in this town would know that true community is found by connecting in real, real ways. And so I just ask that and just pray um, your hand over that entire process. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Claire. Hey, would you give it up for Claire Cunningham? That's a really good word, and so is this. From Romans 12, 9 to 16, listen now. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position do not be conceited. What if you had a friend like that? What if you had a life group community like that? What if your marriage was like that? You know, that is possible. That's the Bible's command this time through the Apostle Paul, to ordinary, everyday Christians living in the Roman Empire, people like you and me. These were folks back in that day who usually had little house churches or maybe small buildings where 50 to 100 people could gather together, and they didn't have much, but they had each other. They were persecuted by the Roman government. To be sure, when they said that Jesus was Lord, they were also saying that Caesar is not Lord. And when they said Caesar was not Lord, that oftentimes turned into persecution, threats of violence, and sometimes even martyrdom. Many of these were first Jewish men and women who later became Christ followers. And when they became Christ followers, that would mean oftentimes that they would be rejected by their own families. These were ordinary men and women who experienced extraordinary pain. Medicine was sparse, violence was common, life was really short, but they had each other. They had each other. 
and their friendships, their community, as little bands of Christ's followers, was forged in the furnace of suffering. So much could be said about this beautiful passage I just read from Romans 12, 9 through 16. I would strongly encourage you individually to do your own personal devotions on it, even this week, if you haven't yet done so prior to today. On the back of your outline each Sunday, there's a passage to study for next week's message. But if you didn't get an opportunity to jump into this one last week, I encourage you to look at Romans 12, 9 through 16, though, this coming week, either individually in your private study or perhaps as a family or as a couple. You say, this is the kind of couple, though, that we want to be as a life group, though. This is the kind of life group, though, that we want to be. We want to practice hospitality. We want to love each other as we've been loved. When people curse us, we want to bless in return. We want to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. We want to be this kind of people. We won't be able to hit all of that in today's message. The the primary passage that I want to fix my teaching on this morning as I filter in some of these other verses along the way, but the the primary verse that I want to fix my focus on here this morning is here in verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Would you say that with me? Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Last week I suggested three E's. Example, encouragement, and exhortation. That if we consistently provide a great example of a good and beautiful life, that we're, we're, we're more than anything a model for each other in relationships. And then second, we encourage each other often. And then third, we develop relationships where we can occasionally sharpen each other through exhortation. And I have two more today. Last week I said I just had one. I didn't lie, but I found another one though this week. Two more today out of this passage that I want to encourage you to think about. Two more E's that would really go a great way toward being a friend. And as Claire Judges said, if you want a friend, first you got to... You do, right? If you want a friend, first you got to be a friend. And so two more here though this morning for those who want to be a friend. The first one is this. A sharpened friend is strong enough to enjoy your victories. A sharpened friend is strong enough in himself or in herself that she is able to enjoy the things that go well in your life. She's able to be happy for you when you succeed in something. He's able to rejoice with you when you get a promotion at work. He's able to rejoice with you when he sees in you that you're gaining victory over anger or whatever it might be. Who's had a friend in their life that just cannot handle you being successful? Anyone else? Okay. We've, we've probably all had one of those people in our lives that it just seems like, well, whenever you're happy, they're sad. Like they cannot handle the prospect of you succeeding in some area and them not succeeding as much in that same area. And so what they try to do is inevitably bring you down into the mud with them. 
That's not a strong friend, that's a weak friend. That's called weak sauce when people do that to each other. Okay, you're up here, I don't like all the growth that I see in you. Let me, because of my envy and my pride, those two things, because of my envy and my pride, let me badmouth you and find a way to bring you down into the mud with me. Those aren't real friends. UNK professor of philosophy and Carney Ephraim member, Dr. Dave Rosema, has written a lot on friendship, and he notes this, pride and envy are the primary enemies of friendship. Why? Because they inhibit forgiveness and they're always divisive. The thing about pride is, I can't stand you being as good as me. Pride is always looking down at someone else. That's just the nature of it. And envy is always kind of looking up and grasping at someone else and not really comfortable with their success, so I need to find a way to bring them down to my level. Now conversely, as we talked about last week, the proverb says, bright eyes gladden the heart, and good news puts fat on the bones. Yeah, I mean, it, this is how it goes. Like, if you see a friend, and you smile at that friend, it gladdens the heart. It blesses you when that person smiles at you. In between services, well, one of my good friends gave me a big hug. I mean, immediately what I felt is he gave me a big hug, and I see his bright eyes toward me is, I'm loved. Puts fat on the bones. It's such a good, good thing. And just by the way, like if you want to be a happier, more joyful person, rejoice with other people in their happiness. It's really, really simple. If you can't rejoice with others in their happiness, you're going to regularly be envious or prideful or fall into the comparison trap, which is always the thief of joy. Okay? So we rejoice with each other. And a good friend is able to say, well done. I see your growth. I mean, I see the way you're loving your wife more. Well done. It's so encouraging to see your growth in the Lord. You inspire me. Rejoice with each other in your victories. That's a good start. That's a good start for an important element of friendship. But I must say that's the easier part of this message. Okay? The harder part of this message is the second part of that verse. It goes, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's the harder part, isn't it? It's the harder part, but that's where real friendship at a very deep level is born. That when you go through a time of adversity and you experience that someone is there with you in that adversity, it binds you with that person in a way that almost nothing else can. Proverbs 17, 17 says it this way, a friend loves at all times, a friend's able to rejoice with you when you rejoice, but a brother is born for a time of adversity. Now that passage is not referring to biological brothers or sisters, it's referring to someone who becomes a brother to you when you're going through depression. Someone who becomes a sister to you 
when you're diagnosed with a disease, someone who becomes a brother to you, when it seems like everyone else has faded away because you're now unemployed and you might even feel a little bit ashamed of yourself, they are there and because they're there, a brotherhood is formed at that moment. A friend will kind of multiply your joys and a really, really good friend will divide your sorrows. Here's how I put it on your outline. A sharpened friend is gentle enough to sympathize or to empathize in your suffering. A really sharp friend is gentle enough and really is strong enough to be gentle and therefore they're able to empathize with you in the midst of your suffering. Now I want to speak to, to the men here for just a few moments. Guys, gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is not weakness. In fact, gentleness is strength under control. And what this world needs is men to be strong, to rise up, to use their strength for good, to use their strength to protect people, and to use their strength under control to be able to bridle it for, for the benefit of other people around them. And that's what mercy, that's what gentleness is about. Unfortunately, we have this idea in our mind that there's certain characteristics that are like masculine characteristics, and there's other characteristics that are feminine characteristics, and that's false. That's an invention of I don't know who, but it doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from the Bible. Empathy is a wonderful masculine or a wonderful feminine characteristic. To empathize means that I'm with you in your suffering. I'll be by your side. I can identify with you. I care for you. It's choosing to listen rather than just instruct. Come on, somebody. Oh, man. It's choosing to be present rather than just correct. It's choosing to bear someone else's burdens rather than ignore them in their burdens and call them weak. I love this about Jesus. Jesus does this all the time as you read the Gospels carefully. I, I mean, I'm so in love with Jesus. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my King. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He died. He rose again. He is truth embodied. He is all of that. But one of the things that I love most about Jesus is this. He chooses to identify with me. Amen. In my weakness, in my suffering, in my temptations, in loneliness, in rejection, in betrayal, with all, which all of you have had, and I've had too. Jesus chooses to identify with you in those things. And this is the Son of God. And he is the embodiment of what a man should be. Listen to Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses. In other words, we do have a high priest who is able 
to empathize with us in our weaknesses. High priest is this. You have God in heaven, the Father, and you have us stuck in our sin, and Jesus comes as a high priest to stand in between our sin and holy God in order to reconcile us with holy God. That's what he chooses to do on our behalf. And he does so saying, I'm able to empathize with you and your weaknesses. In every single way except for this one way, I'm without sin. Now Jesus was tempted. I believe Jesus was tempted just like you and I are tempted. It's just that he chose not to indulge the way we so often choose to indulge. But the great thing about that is because he was tempted, we have all the more power to come to him in prayer asking for his help when we're tempted because he can identify with us as humans. And he'll give us strength and mercy to help us in our time of need. I, I, I just really hope that you would dwell on this passage that I just put up on that screen. He knows loneliness. He knows weeping. He knows betrayal. He knows whatever you're experiencing today. And so out of that, the Bible says, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Out of what he did, out of who he was and is, let his mind be your mind, which means we can empathize with a friend. We can identify with them, and as we do so, we divide their sorrows. Now, let me just say here, empathy is not enmeshment, okay? There's a few different ways, though, that we can think of our friendships as it comes to suffering. One is detachment, okay? Your, your friend starts suffering, and you detach yourself subtly. And we've all had those. I certainly have. Where you're here, and that friend that you thought was right here, it's, it's actually their, their way over here. And you learn that in the midst of your suffering. When adversity struck, they moved away. Uh, another option is what you would call entanglement or enmeshment. That you're here, and the friend's here, and the friend gets overwhelmed by some sorrow, and you get tangled up in their sorrow, such that you're not sure where they end and you begin, because they're in your mind all the time, and you're holding on to their anxieties all the time, and that's enmeshment. And if you do that with too many people, you'll be crippled by their sorrows, and you won't be able to serve your own family. That's just a fact, okay? And so the key is this, it's empathy. It's not enmeshment. It's not detachment. Empathy is this. You're here, and I'm right here. And I'm right by your side, and I understand that I cannot fix your problems, but darn it, I care about you. And I'm with you. And I'm next to you. And I love you. And by my presence, you are helped. And by your presence... I am helped. We cannot fix each other. God did not give us that capacity. But what we can do is follow Christ who chose to dwell near his 12 disciples and so many others. And sometimes 
Even he, the Son of God, did not fix all their troubles. Sometimes he did. We can't, but what we can do is come by their side. There's a great photo of this up on the screen that a friend here in this church shared with me last week. It's very, very powerful. It goes like this. A friend is someone who helps you up when you're down. They help pull you up when you're down. And if they cannot, because you have a difficult challenge, they lay down beside you and they listen. Oh, that's so good. When they can't do it, they just choose to lay down beside you and they listen. So how do you emphasize? not emphasize, how do you empathize? Let me give you three ways, three practical ways that you can grow in the gift of empathy for your friend. Okay, here's the first one. The first one is this, listen. Listen, 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 listen. And when you feel like speaking, shut your mouth and listen some more. The start of empathy is listening. I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it. He was a great pastor and German theologian in the midst of World War II, and he even made this assassination plot on Adolf Hitler. He was a courageous man. He was caught in the assassination plot, and then he was killed. Another story for another day, but he was a great theologian and pastor. He was a single man across his whole life, Friendship was very valuable to him. He wrote on friendship often, wrote a wonderful book called Life Together in which he says this, the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as love to God begins with listening to his word, because you love God, you listen to his word and you obey what it says, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. Okay, so really good friends don't seek first and foremost to be understood. Really good friends seek to understand. I want to understand what's going on in your world before I ask that you would understand what's going on in my world. I seek to understand first and then to be understood second. I begin with listening and then I create a safe environment in my marriage. I create a safe environment in my parenting and in my friendships through the gift of consistent listening. It's amazing how much people will open up to you if they know that you'll listen to them and how much of a bond can be created if they know that you'll listen. Second is this, don't give simple answers to complex problems. One of the least helpful things that many well-meaning people do is try to give simple and trite answers to very complex problems. It's okay that you don't know why this happened. It's okay to say nothing. It's okay not to have an answer to why someone's kids ran away. It's best not to inspect in order to assign blame. Sometimes people inspect to try to find an easy answer so they can assign blame somewhere. That really hurts those who are already hurting. What's far better than that is simply to be present with them and to acknowledge, I don't know. A lot of times, well-meaning Christians will like quote a Bible verse 
and drop it and then be done. And you know what? Sometimes when we do that, we just are doing it for ourselves. We have to admit that. We're doing it for ourselves. We're doing it so we can feel like we said something and then we can be done. But oftentimes it doesn't really help. Because when you're in the midst of suffering, the loss of a spouse and someone says, well, all things work for the good of those who love God and and for those who've been called according to his purposes. While that may be true, it doesn't, it's not consoling. It's not empathetic. It, It just, it gives an easy answer to a really complex and difficult problem. Far better is just to say, I, I don't know the answer to this, but I, I will pray for you. In fact, can I pray for you right now? And then to send a text message later in the week showing that, that you continue to pray for that person. Here's a good proverb. Say less, pray more. Okay, that's Adrian's proverb. Say less, pray more. Say less, pray more. And then number three, provide specific help. Verse 13 says this, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So what that's about, it's, it's providing some specific help. You, you warmly welcome someone into your home who is struggling, that's practicing hospitality. You know someone who is going through an illness and you choose to provide a meal to them, that's sharing with God's people who are in need. Now, none of us can do this for all of us, but all of us can do this for a few of us, and if that happens, then all of us will be covered, right? That's the way the body of Christ is intended to work. And we do this well here at this church. I really see the way this church consistently helps one another out in this church family. But just for a little bit of review here, it, 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 it just helps a whole lot more when you say to someone, can I pick your kids up after school every day this week than it does to say, let me know if you need help. Because when you're overwhelmed by suffering, you don't even know where to start. It's very difficult to make any decisions when you're overwhelmed by suffering. And so when someone makes the decisions for you by saying, as you go to visit your mother, can I pick up your kids though this week? That relieves a burden in a great, great way. Or may I bring a meal to your house this Wednesday? That relieves a burden in a great way. And again, our church does this beautifully, but I just want to remind us, if we do this in a specific way as opposed to a general way, it helps more. Probably the most beautiful example of empathy in action that I've seen over the last decade has been with my sister-in-law's family. So my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law, some of you know, their son has been battling a rare form of childhood cancer for the past two and a half years. And it's been brutal for their family, came on out of nowhere when he was 16 years old. Now he's a freshman in college, but he's gone through this brutal form of childhood cancer that has just knocked him out. And it began in his hip, and eventually it took his hip, and he got a hip replacement, and that didn't fit either. So now he's living without a hip. And uh, then it metastasized to his lungs. And uh, so he went through lots and lots of rounds of all different kinds of terrible treatment, including really brutal chemotherapy. And I was with uh, their family over the holiday, and on New Year's Eve, I asked her, I asked mom as well, we were going to church, 
you know, as you look back over these last two and a half years, what are some things that friends did for you that, that was like really helpful? And what are some things that some people did that maybe well, were not as helpful? And she said the trite answers were not helpful. And people just dropping Bible verses and then being gone was not very helpful. And people telling us two or three more things that we should be doing for, for our kid, that wasn't very helpful. In fact, a lot of times it just hurt. But she said the things, though, that really helped were when people came by their side and just suffered with them and experienced their pain and were willing to listen to, to their sadness. And, and so much so that when their son... Um, got out of chemotherapy, and here's a picture of him up on the screen. He's tossing off his cap as he's finishing up chemotherapy. But after her son got out of chemotherapy, shortly thereafter, she gathered together a number of friends who had been these faithful friends over these past two and a half years, and she just took some time to thank them for the ways that they had partnered with her and their family during their time of such pain. And she sent me what she shared with them, and with her permission, I'm going to share a few of these words right now. What helped, she told these friends, was there were many days and nights when Joshua was experiencing such intense neuropathic pain, and prayers around the world went up on his behalf. At home, Mark and I, her husband and I, would alternate who might be rubbing his legs and feet while the other one wept in the next room. But God never left us alone. He watched over Joshua, and many of you stepped in with pain salves and ointments and a massager and acupuncture from a colleague on her day off from work. She'd come over and provide acupuncture and so many prayers. In time, the pain eased and Joshua learned to walk with the aid of a walker and crutches and now a cane. I love each of you, she said, for shouldering this burden with me. There are some who fielded my frustrated emails or moments of sadness at work and all of you chose to listen to me. Some who helped transport my other son to and from school or allowed him to stay at your home. Some coordinated visits at the hospital for school friends and provided transportation and hosted game nights where Joshua could participate via video chat. Talk about specific help, right? There are neighbors who walked our dog or mowed the lawn or raked leaves or brought fresh produce from their garden. Some brought food to the hospital for Joshua or silly joke books for him to tell to his brother. Little gifts on my desk at work or two hands held together in the shape of a heart would be a salve to my broken heart at just the right moment. There were classmates who made a green and yellow quilt for this dedicated young Packers fan, which he used on his hospital bed for every single hospital stay. Many of, many of you donated blood, a gift that gives and gives and gives. Thank you for walking with our family on this hard journey. Thank you for continuing to lift us up as we look to what God has in store for us. People who listened. People who chose not to give 
trite answers to a very complex problem. And people who offered specific help. And because of those, they had this circle of empathetic friends who are now able to enjoy their victory together. Okay, they're not completely out of the woods, but this is what happens when we empathize with each other. We're able to enjoy the victories with each other all the more, isn't it? When you chose to be with someone in their sorrow, then the back end of that is you get to enjoy their victories all the more. This is the power of the kind of godly friendship that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ wants for you and me. It's really good news that God would desire for us to grow in a few friendships, that it's okay to let our hair down, to be in need, to experience reciprocity, to be vulnerable with each other, to know that I'm safe with you. Father, would you provide that for our church? Would you provide that to each and every one of us? I know that on Sunday morning, so many people come into this room and feel lonely. And I ask God that you would just keep creating an atmosphere here where we look for those who are lonely, we look for those who are struggling, and we go out of our way to love each other. And I pray for those who are lonely today as well that you would give them the courage. It's not easy. I've said it a number of times in this series that if you want a friend, you gotta be a friend, but that is much easier said than done when you're lonely. And so for those of us in this room today who are in that spot, we ask God that you give us the courage to begin to intentionally try and intentionally provide hospitality and to go out of our way to perhaps keep engaging life group even though we don't want to. Help us, Lord, where we're weak to be friends to a few others. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that your word promises us that you are our friend. And when it feels like we have no one else in this world, we always go to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you identify with us. Would you grant each of us the courage to identify with a few others? We love you. We give you glory. We thank you, God, for your kindness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.